Lance Brozdowski from Prospects Live and Finding Nemo. You can find this guy just about anywhere. He's one of the growing figures in sports media right now, and he's only going to get better. I mean, we have a great talk. We talk about the secret Mike Trout club that we're in. We talk about, you know, guys like Wander Franco, guys like Fernando Tatis. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's a really fun episode, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. All right, Lance, so we're basically here to talk about the state of baseball. We're here to talk about a few specific players. I want to start with, you know, the reason that we're pretty much all here at this point is the analytics aspect of this game. How has technology like the Rapsodo and, you know, the Edgartronic changed baseball so far? Oh, man, that is a huge question. Yeah, I mean, there's been so much there's been so much written on this. I mean, you have people like Eno Saris from The Athletic doing fantastic work. MVP machine just came out from Lindbergh and Sawchick. I'm like a couple pages into that. I mean, it's I don't even know where to start. I think it's just one of those things where you start to get more separation between teams that were willing to adapt to it quicker and teams that were not or are maybe still even adapting to it to some extent. And this is most prevalent, I think, even at the lower levels of the minor leagues where you go to parks in the Midwest League and teams, you know, aren't staffing full-time video people. Um, and then other teams are setting up edratronic cameras, which is just like the parity between that is just insane because you have teams that aren't even like spending money on camcorders and someone to operate those camcorders and you have other teams spending thousands of dollars on one individual camera. And I mean, that just creates separation. It, it creates more distance between the haves and the have nots of the MLB. And I think that's, that's like the high level thing that I think about a lot just cause I'm at a lot of minor league games and such. And, uh, you know, I observe a lot of development and stuff and, you know, I get my fair share of it. I'd like to say out in the Midwest league and stuff. And back when I was in the Northeast at, in the Eastern league, at double license, I've seen a couple different levels and such, but Man, it's been it's been a lot of fun. You know, I, I'm in a lot of major league clubhouses, and it's a lot of fun to talk to guys about you know how they develop pitches and whether or not they've used Repsoto and Edratronic and stuff, and how they use them. And uh, it's even probably more interesting you know, to talk to guys who haven't, who don't kind of go to those those things, but maybe still you know set up like a TrackMan device and have like immediate feedback going on uh, how a pitch is coming out of their hand, release point wise. You know, so I mean, there's so many facets to that question, but. Uh, for me, you know, it's just it's been a lot of fun to talk to guys about it and just get perspective on it. And I feel like, you know, to the public, too, we have a much better understanding of things that go on. And we have so many people on Twitter now that are willing to open up and, and provide their expertise to inform the public. And I feel like that just makes everybody smarter. So it's been a lot of fun to learn. So you, you have guys like Bauer leading the charge, but you also have guys like I'm in this Amarillo clubhouse a lot talking to these guys. And probably 90 percent of this locker room is it's kind of pushing back towards this analytics, you know, towards these machines, stuff like that. Is that just a case? Do we think of, you know, people don't like something that they don't understand or is it something else? I mean, I'm pretty surprised that most guys are pushing back and they were really close to us just because I feel like maybe a lot of those guys were at some point in Fort Wayne. And I feel like I've always had pretty good interactions with a lot of the guys in Fort Wayne. It might be one of those things where, you know, players will manipulate what they want to say to the media versus what they're actually experiencing right and uh this is something i've experienced a little bit in the astros organization just because like i've asked some questions about like you know what guys use to develop and i've gotten some just like non-answers and stuff and it's so i understand it because you know if you have an advantage like the astros have it's it's probably not too beneficial to that organization to talk about what they're doing that other teams aren't doing that other they know other teams aren't doing like that is essentially their advantage for the most part so there becomes this weird game of like the media trying to get from the players what they're doing and the, the, the players having kind of no uh, 
no thoughts about you know what they want to open up about, which is a bit of an issue, I guess, to some extent. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Bauer leads the charge, but he's just such a high-level thinker. I think it's one of those things where he stands out from the pack. He's one of those guys who I had a really good conversation with a couple weeks ago, and he's one of the more just insanely intelligent individuals I've ever spoken to in baseball. And he's super, super willing to open up and talk to you, make sure you understand, which is something that I often don't get with a lot of players. And I just, I really, really enjoyed my conversation with him. Honestly, it was, it was a great time. And um, I, he's one of those guys that I, I really wish I was like covering the Indians on that beat because I would utilize him endlessly. He'd probably get tired of me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, there's some parody. I don't know. I guess, I guess maybe the, each clubhouse is different, but for the most part, from my understanding that the Padres are, you know, I'd say top half of baseball in terms of what they do developmentally. So I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that you get some pushback um, from those guys pushing back against the analytics. Yeah, it's, it surprised me a lot because I feel like the Padres are usually, you know, in that top third when it comes to using this technology. That's why, you know, these prospects are progressing so well. And, you know, it really shocked me when, you know, I heard a couple of them say that. So, you know, it just kind of floored me a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no so, doubt. So, you know, we're, we're talking about big jumps between the teams that are using it or not using it. Let's talk about a guy who made probably one of the biggest jumps that I've seen a player make in a very long time. I mean, Lucas Giolito last year had one of the worst, if not the worst, ERA in baseball and comes back this year and, you know, with a new arm slot, everything like that. And, I mean, what is the biggest difference? Is it the arm slot, the deception, or what's going on with him this year? I think it's been a combination of a variety of things. Um, the arm slide is a big adjustment, but I think it's the culmination of that and some pitch development stuff with him. Um, he started throwing a two-seam changeup in 2018. He developed his slider a little bit more, which is a pitch he did not have when he was in the Nationals organization. I think he learned that in the offseason coming over to the White Sox. And he was young. I think the ultimate thing is he was young and growth for the most part with prospects is not really that linear. So when you have this confluence of a variety of things, we have change of development, main breaking ball development. He goes away from the curveball that was given plus plus grades for a really long time um, by individuals like me too. And then that pitch has become like his fourth pitch. It's become really just not that much of a factor. And he's, he's turning to his slider more. He's turning to his change up more. And both of those have been fantastic pitches. And I think the arm action helps him for the most part with command and repeatability and, and honestly probably release point deception. I think a lot of the release point charts will show you that changeup was, was leaking way out with his longer arm action. Um, and now that's become much more concise and it's probably overlaid and tunneled pretty well, much better at least than his, than his prior kind of fastball changeup combination. But I think one of the more interesting things with him is that you can almost view some more room for growth, specifically on the side of his fastball usage, because he's still like 55% from what I was looking at the other day. And uh, that's something that'd be really interesting to go down. And I think this is something I almost think about with every guy who's probably above 50% fastball, just because the wave has been towards more breaking ball. But like, if you get a guy like Giolito, who's already kind of at average command for a pitcher around like 80% walk rate, you get him to go towards more slider and maybe bump that walk rate a little bit. Then like, what's really the ceiling on his, like, his strikeout rate for me? You know, that's like something that where my mind starts to get going even more. It's like, I think there's more in here than we currently have, just especially because the walk rate cut year over year from 2018 to 2019 is just... It's insane. It's insane. You know, like there's those guys who cut their strikeout rate by like nine, ten percent, but you rarely see like a four or five walk per nine guy go down to like two five. Like that's a huge cut. And uh, I think it's just a combination of a variety of things, maturation and that arm slot. The arm slot thing is just like what we have is the tangible example that it's very easy to see year over year by looking at video what he's done differently. I think that's why it pops. So uh, that's that's what jumps out to me. But um, you know, I talked to him a little bit about slider development actually in spring training down in Glendale and he was Really nice guy. He's really media savvy and stuff. I think his parents are, or his whole family is like a bloodline of like actors and actresses and stuff. So uh, he's uh, he's very well spoken and he's he, he has a really good understanding of like what he's doing 
Um, but he's a, he's a guy that I'd love to hear like an oral history on of his development, just because he was such a he's such a different player than he's such a different player than what we understood him as as the fastball curveball guy in the Natch system, where he came up in that curveball but it wasn't as good as we all thought it was, and now he's gone to a slider. He's just such a different pitcher. He's fascinating, and I, I really like him. Well, yeah, and that's that's something that we for, like. I think that people that are just getting into the game don't know is that he was an absolute wanted asset when he was with the Nats. I mean, I think he was top three in that system with Ronaldo Lopez as well. You know, they came, they come over in the Eaton trade. He struggles a little bit, and now he's finally blooming. And it's just great to see a guy like that, you know, fight through the struggles and, you know, finding success. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's a very good point. All right, so let's go from one great arm to another. This this might be a 10-minute segment, unfortunately, for, for everybody <laughs> listening that doesn't like the Padre system. Let's talk about Mackenzie Gore. We've both talked to, in one way or another, one of his coaches – I know you talked to his ECU coach. What did his ECU coach have to say about Mackenzie Gore? Yeah, I've talked to him twice. I think I did two separate stories, one for the Sacramento newsletter in the offseason, this most recent one for spring training, and then the prior year when he was still with the Tin Caps battling blister problems. Uh, so he actually lives in the the last two offseasons, at least. He lives with um, Cliff Godwin, who's the ECU head coach. And, uh, you know, every, everything has been positive, which you're going to get from most coaches. But I think one of the more interesting things was what I wrote about in the newsletter was regards to this offseason when ECU had their first fall with TrackMan set up. And McKenzie got to use that kind of for the first time and get some get his feet wet in it and then jump to spring training. And you fast forward, and I'm sure a lot of the pictures everyone saw from like interleague stuff, you see Repsoda set up on field for inter-squad games and stuff. And I, I just thought that was a, that was a big step because, you know, he's young. He's a high school kid. I get that a lot of those high school kids play with TrackMan at showcases and stuff. But at the same time, like, they don't have constant exposure to it like college kids do. So I thought it was a really interesting thing that he got a little bit of, like, a jump start, I guess, quote-unquote, on it by being in that system and by being able to go to Cliff and, uh, and work out in that ECU facility in the offseason. So that was, like, my main takeaway that maybe a lot of, not a lot of people know that's uh, probably adding some value as opposed to, I think, a lot of the other stuff, which is just, you know, he's dedicated, he's a hard worker, he's extremely, extremely intense. Um, he's a really clearly quiet kid from my experience as well, but he's been stellar in the Cal League. I think that... I, I stand for I stood for him last year um, because he was battling the blister problems so much and he was still extremely successful and he still had like good command. Like he still had like probably like 45 just below average command and he was battling blisters and he was still able to post like a like a three. What was he? He was like sub three, five, fifth and uh, Fort Wayne. And in my mind, I was just like, if this kid's doing this with injury problems right now, what on earth happens if he jumps? too high which he did and he's healthy which he is and this is the result the result is just insane dominance and i i I don't really have anything else to say aside from like he's extremely athletic he separates better than some pitchers i've ever seen it it was him and hunter green who i saw in the same year last year um and gore stood out to me i like gore more and he's just got pitchability he's got a couple pitches his break balls are really good he got the change of field which he basically doesn't need he's not going to need until he gets up to high a or excuse me gets up to like double a triple a level and then we'll see how that pitch goes. But that was always the pitch that was considered like his best pitch. So I think Fangraphs had that projected as his highest future value pitch. He barely even uses it in the minor league. So that's the thing for me. If he ends up with four, you know, average pitches plus pitches in the major league level, it's it's a top it's a top end rotation guy. And uh, especially from the left side, at only twenty years old, he's in high A. They're, the sky's the limit. I mean, again, like I said, with a guy like Giolito, girl, it's not linear, but um, he's going to run into probably more struggle too. But I think the ultimate product here is going to be pretty good. And the big thing to preach is patience because. There's a lot of people who think he could be up later this year. I don't think he's going to be up later this year. There's a lot of people who think he could be up next year. I honestly don't even think he's going to be up next year. This is a guy that I think they're going to leave down the system for a bit. And I know the Padres have had a propensity to kind of call up guys like Nick Margovicius and um, 
others to kind of give him a shot, Cal Quantrill and whatnot. But I just think they develop a guy like uh, Gord a little bit differently, maybe even give a guy like Moran a shot first. So I, I'm going to preach patience with him. I mean, I, I'm not going to be shocked if he doesn't debut until 2021, but I think a lot of people want him up later this year. So I we'll really see. appreciate patience because I would like to see him for more than a couple months here in Amarillo. <laughs> yeah, I know. That'd be good to get a couple months. See, I only got, I think I saw. I only saw him start once, I think, but I caught two pens of his because I usually get out to early when I go to Fort Wayne and watch whoever's thrown that day. Um, so I, it's funny. I've seen him more like in non-game situations than I have in game situations. But uh, the start I saw was, I think, the best start of his season last year. It was on uh, July 4th in uh, Fort Wayne. He dominated through, I think, six or seven innings and looked really good. So, yeah, I mean, you, you, more looks you can get on a kid like this is the better. You know, you just be able to form that opinion and have – have some insight on some of the stuff and how he throws and stuff. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. So I got to see Fernando for a couple of days here when he was on his rehab and I literally did not want that to end when I know every yeah, single Padre fan great. is like, please come back. Yeah, exactly. I mean, hopefully he doesn't ever have to come back. I know. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we'll but, see though. <laughs> with Gore, man, in the story that stands out that uh, coach Hammonds, who's either his brother-in-law currently or soon to be brother-in-law uh, and was his pitching coach in high school. You know, he talked about going over to his, going over to their house for the first time, and he hears hears this banging upstairs, and he doesn't know what that is. And he asks his, uh, he asks Mackenzie's sister, he's like, "What is he doing?" He was like, "He's practicing his windup in the mirror." He does that for that thirty minutes every day, and he was just floored. He just knew that this kid was different. I mean, wow, that is awesome. I did not, I did not know he's that. He's just wired differently, apparently, and that's exciting to see when you have two guys in this, you know, in the system. One's already up in Chris Paddock, and you have Mackenzie Gore with the attitudes that they have. You know, the the attack modes, the you know, the consistency that they have. This Padres pitching system is going to be amazing. It already is. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's it's going to be fun. It's already pretty good, and it's it's just going to get better. I agree. I didn't I didn't put this on the on the topics, but since we're already in the Padres system, what are your thoughts on Michael Baez? Yeah, yeah, he's he's interesting. I think he's a guy when I did my top thirty for prospects live that I had a little higher just because he was odd. I think I overranked him and Anderson Espinosa just because I feel like medicals for the most part, especially in the minor leagues when you're doing like a top thirty, I just you just don't know. Like I get that there's a lot of like people who think they might have an understanding of what's going on, but teams are so veiled about what what the injuries are, especially with minor league guys. Like, I mean, you get guys placed on ILs down there and you don't even know like why they're on the IL for like a day or two, you yeah. know, it's like a, it's like a, it's an unbelievable process just to figure out why guys are on the IL. And it's like, I mean, he had back problems, which I don't like at all. I mean, I always thought he's a really tall guy. I mean, Massive. it's not a hyper athletic delivery. It's not like a Lucas Giolito style delivery of where he's really athletic and he extends really well. It's, it's a little upright. I mean, I think the projection was always somewhat of like a reliever, which I hate saying, because especially how I ranked him, I think I ranked him inside the top 10, but the stocks fluctuated so much, and I feel like they have so many starting pitching options with a higher floor that it just makes sense that he ends up being some reliever type. But, I mean, I also haven't seen him this year, so I'd reserve comment for the most part um, until I got some looks. I didn't even, I don't even think I've seen him on like MILB TV or anything. So I haven't been paying too much attention to him, honestly. So um, I, would, I would defer to somebody who's seen him year over year. But my opinion was always just that I really liked him. I think I liked him probably – I stood for him last year in the offseason when – Everyone knew about the injury problems, but I thought was discounting him way too much. I think I was the high on prospects live on him, and I guess we'll see. I might, I might take the, I don't know, I might get screwed on that, so to speak, with my rank, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah, so speaking of standing, he's 6'8", and he's I'm 5'2". <laughs> I say I'm 5'5", five five. I'm 5'2", five let's be real here. So I had to interview <laughs> him a week ago, 
and I'm like, you know, Mikel, Mikel, and I'm like having to like get on my tiptoes in order to even hold the mic even close, and the pitching coach is just That's laughing hilarious. at me. That is <laughs> just so just dying. But yeah, no, uh, Mikel this year he's he's improved his slider. I think he changed his slider grip a little bit, according to what the pitching coach told me. Uh, it's a more of a true slider this year as opposed to that in between kind of pitch that he had last year. It's up about three or four miles per hour. I'm really excited about him. Hope they don't wind up using him as a reliever, which they have been so far this season. Like you said, you haven't seen him. You haven't had a lot of opportunity because he's only pitched 11 innings this year. Uh, Uh, Okay. That makes sense. (laughs) I mean, he's, he's looked really good. He looks really dominant. Everything. uh, The velocity is up, you know, two miles an hour, I believe this year, you know, he was sitting around 96, 97 last year. And he's averaging around 98, 99 now, which is always exciting when a guy Mm -hmm. can reach back and have a hundred, but I'm without a doubt, yeah. He's uh he's exciting. Let's stay in the Padres system. I can't go through the system without asking about Fernando. I mean, what is the ceiling for this guy? Yeah, I mean he's he's the one that has booked the projections for the most part, I would say. Uh but there's still a lot of swing and miss, which is honestly like a lot of people take the detriment. I almost think that's somewhat encouraging that he's still able to produce this value and he's swinging and missing at a well above average rate. Um he's produced a ton of value. I mean the thing is I, I think I understood more and more why I think it was Keith Law put, put Tatis above a guy like Vlad Guerrero Jr. Because what Vlad needs to do to like win an MVP is basically hit like J.D. Martinez did last right. year, which is probably like a peak Vlad season for the most part. Maybe I'm selling him a little bit short on the average or something, but like J.D. Martinez couldn't even get out of like, what was he? I think he's third place in MVP voting, second place, whatever. Should have been lower than that based on total value, based on what I saw and understood. But like that is the season you need from Vlad offensively because he's not a good defender. He's not a good runner. He's not going to be good at either of those, which is something that, I mean, I realized all the way back when he was playing with New Hampshire and I saw him with the buddy of mine, Ralph Lifshitz, who's also in Prospects Live. We always realized that. I mean, he had a good arm, but arm is just such a minimal factor in, t- in total defense that like, I understood more and more why a guy like Law put Tatis ahead because it's like I get there's so much more offense to be had. You know, in terms of the development here, he's not a 320 hitter. He's, he's, you know, he's probably more in like the peak, probably like 270-ish range, I would say. But he's playing way above his head right now, which I understand. The league's going to adjust back to him, which is fine. But the total value of him right now at the age of 20 is, is already like he's already got like a war, war and a half, 1.5 war in Fangraphs right now. And he's projected to get to like almost three in his age 20 season, which is just insane. And it's all about development. It's all about how he reacts when the league adjusts back to him because I think he's going to start seeing – I mean, he's still seeing an exceptional amount of sliders, but he's going to start seeing more of that. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see how he develops. You know, this is going to be one of those things where he's, he's probably not going to have the greatest projection next year and maybe even underperforms a little bit. But, the, again, it's, it's going to be his age 21 season. So give him another three years. He's 25, four. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm very encouraged by a variety of things, and I don't really think that there's going to be too much deterioration of skill, um, especially defensively or running-wise, for a while. Um, so, I mean, the upside here is, is really good and it's, I think it's MVP caliber, honestly, once he gets up there in age a little bit, develops a little bit more and gets out of the striker, right? He brings the OBP up, but stellar right now. He's fun to watch. He's so, I mean, he's absolutely fun to watch. He's must see TV when he's at bat. Mm, absolutely. You talked about Tatis kind of playing through his projection a little bit. Mike Soroka has absolutely dominated this year so far when he's pitched. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is that a guy in the system? Was that, you know, was that your top Braves pitcher in the system or was it a guy like, you know, Anderson or Wright or somebody in that vein? Yo, oh, I don't actually know. I didn't rank the Braves system. I would like to look back at my prospects like top 100 and see who I had because I know I had probably one or two Braves pitchers in the top 100. I have to imagine I had Sorka probably like 50 out of 100. 
I could be wrong. This could be completely misremembering, but this is public somewhere on the Prospects Live site, right. so you fact check me. But yeah, he's he's interesting, man, because he's he's of this caliber of guy where he's like the younger, granky Hendricks guy, where he's throwing a lot of fastballs. He's not really throwing them that hard. It's like a below average fastball in terms of velocity, but he's getting the results for the most part, and the, and the results are stellar. And sure, he might be suppressing home runs at like a insane rate right now and stuff, but I, I still really like him. And I think I almost wonder, you know, I'm waiting for someone to do the story. I think MLB.com probably already did something comparable where they talked about like these low velocity sinker guys that are able to command really well and kind of where they play in the present day of baseball. And I almost always wonder whether like these guys who are sitting in velocity bands a little lower than everyone else and able to command a little bit better are just standing out a little more. And if you get constant exposure to something, I feel like guys are able to adjust really well. And maybe we haven't seen it on elevated fastballs, but you know, I think that's something that in another year or two, you, the hitters are going to catch up. Some they're going to be able to adjust swing plane, figure that out, not be able to have so many holes up. You know, velocity up. I'm sure there's going to be a way for hitters to combat. Is what I'm saying. And then it makes sense that like a guy like Soroka's value would then shoot back up. So he's been really good. I mean, I, do I prefer a pitcher who has a higher strikeout rate and maybe a little bit higher of a walk rate? Sure, but at the same time, it's like. I, I, his sinker is amazing and he's been really fun. I've actually seen a lot of his starts and he's just been, he's just hard to, he's hard to barrel. He's hard to barrel. He's hard to lift. And I think that's a skill for the most part. And it's, it's insane, man. He's got like a sub 20% fly ball rate right now. And I, I just, that's, that's crazy in the given age, especially with everyone trying to elevate, you know, it's almost like people have gone away from lifting sinkers to some extent because they don't see him a lot. They don't see a lot of these kind of like 92 sinkers, um, that he's throwing. And, uh, He's been great, man. Um, I'm interested to see that race with Paddock and him. I think a couple weeks ago was Paddock squarely won for Rookie of the Year. But I think I think Circus jumped ahead. You got Paddock in a little rough spot right now, which I'm sure he's going to come out of. But, I mean, I, I almost want to say it's Circus right now in terms of, I know, Rookie of the Year. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a fun race. It's, it's a little bit closer so than fun. I ever thought it was going to be. Especially with Alonzo, Because, I mean, is too. even in there, too. And Alonzo, yeah. It's a really fun race. That's that's an underrated aspect of the award season I think we're going to get to. I'm hoping everyone kind of stays on track and there's a good debate as opposed to, like, you know, someone being shut down. Like, Paddock being shut down late might actually hurt him a little because I always feel like there's that end-of-season boost on a lot of guys. Yeah, it's a so recency I almost feel bias like it, almost. Exactly, yeah. And it even happens with the bigger awards, too. So, like, if Sorka's still pitching and the Braves are in it late, like, I think he's going to get this artificial bump even if he's not pitching well. So um, I'm, I'm very interested to see. I think that's honestly one of the more fascinating awards right now, even though it means probably the least out of all of them. It's still cool to follow. Well, and everybody's talking about Alonzo, and they're still talking about Paddock. I mean, rightfully so. I mean, the guys the guys have been phenomenal. You know, Paddock obviously struggling as of late, but, you know, Soroka seems to be getting overlooked. And, you know, if you pull up his numbers, I mean, there's no reason that that should be the case right now. No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I mean they pick up Keichel too, and he becomes a storyline. Yeah. But I think I think Shorker's pitching tonight. Probably like I think the game yeah, actually just started. Soroka Keller, watch it, but oh, uh, that's a good one. I didn't even know Keller was starting that one. So uh, that's a fun matchup. That's I mean, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how he get, proceeds going forward because the peripherals aren't stellar. You know what I right. mean? So it's like it's one of those things where it's like, well, how long is this going to sustain, and what's like the floor? You know, where does he end up? I mean, he's probably like more of like a three five ERA guy than like a sub two, but. Let's see how long he can ride out the three five or the the sub two. You know, screw it. <laughs> Cole's gonna kill me <laughs> for saying watch. this, but uh, Cole Cole one of our one of our guests on the show has been Cole Irvin, the Phillies pitcher. And oh, cool! Prior to being blown up by his <laughs> pitching against his idol in the Cubs, in Cole Hamels, uh, you know he was pitching really well, and you know he he always talks about the fact that he's a pitcher, not a thrower. You know, and that's mm-hmm. that's what Soroka is to me. He's just a flat out oh, pitcher. 100%. 
absolutely agree. Yeah, you know, he, you're spot on. He that. paints. You know, he's got great stuff. He you knows where to put it. He can he can just he just has such good command that just everything everything seems to fall into place for a guy like that. Mm-hmm. You're you're right on, man. Absolutely. All right, so let's go. We went. We talked about Tatis. You know, you know the next big shortstop. Let's go to the next next big shortstop. I guess we could say. I mean, you know, I kind of disrespecting Royce Lewis a little bit, but he's not Wander Franco, right? No, no, Franco's great, man. I, yeah, I got a chance to catch him in Fort Wayne when Bowling Green came out for a series, and uh, it was funny because he was facing Weathers that day, and he took all his BP from the right side. Um, and I think he took like the last round maybe from the left side. So he only got a couple swings in, but I, it was funny. I went into that game thinking that I'd be able to get like a really good, just mental raw power grade on him. And I think he did not hit one ball out of the ballpark because he was just so controlled. It was insane. And I almost wonder if it's just like a team philosophy thing where they just don't want him kind of laying into balls where they just want him going track. And he, every ball he's putting was towards the track. It was all hard contact. His hands are absolute lightning and he's a blast to watch, but I thought that was really funny. I went in thinking, okay, I'll, I'll get Franco BP and he'll destroy everything. And of course, I don't get that. And I was getting like other random guys that were standing out to me because they were hitting tanks into like the off the left field facade out there in uh, Parkview Field. And um, but he's good, man. I, I don't know. I've talked to some scouts and I don't know if he stays at short long term, which is the f- most interesting part of it. But I don't think that matters also, which is another important factor because I think the bat is going to be fantastic in terms of hit rate, uh, in terms of contact rate, and a variety of other factors. His eye for uh, spin is unbelievable for his age. Um, he's been a ton of fun to watch. I mean, I, everyone's praising him, and I think all the praise is justified right now. It's just, I, I don't know the knocks. Like, the knocks, I guess, are that maybe he doesn't stick it short. I think the actions are fine, but I could see maybe if he matures a little bit, they move him over to second. Um, I just feel like, for the most part, like shortstop, I, I feel like a lot of guys, if you're not, like, exceptional at short in the minor leagues, and he, uh, Franco's probably good. He's, I don't know if he's, like, as good as, like, honestly, I don't know if he's good as shortstop as I, as I saw from, like, Gabriel Arias when he was on Fort Wayne. But um, but then again, small sample. I only got, like, a game of his. I saw some pregame stuff, and he's good, man. It's all about the hit tool here. It's all about just the combination of what he could do raw power-wise and stuff. He's not going to hit, you know, 35, 40 home runs, but he's going to be able to get, I think, into the high 20s when he develops with his hands. And he's not going to be hitting, you know, 460-foot bombs, but – he could end up like a Lindor type where, you know, you could project out a little bit more power on him even with a smaller frame just because of his hands and how electric he is. And he's going to be a fun all-around player. So I'm, I'm really excited to see his development. I'm excited to see what the Rays do with him because they're a really good um, organization in terms of development and all the technology they bring into the fold. So uh, um, that, that Bowling Green team is really fun if anyone in the Midwest League gets a chance to check him out. And I, I think I should get another shot at Wander next week's uh, Midwest League All-Star game. I'm thinking he's there. I don't know if he's going to be the home run derby, but I have to imagine he's going to be playing. So. It's a couple more at bats, which would be fun. Well, and you talked about his eye, and it's just immaculate for somebody that young. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> like, I, mean, I, I don't remember when it was, but he had the recent stretch where he goes 105 pitches and didn't swing mm. and miss once. How? Yeah, that's I, – I don't know, man. <laughs> he gets 18 years old and he's doing – I think Passon had the article, which is really good. I didn't, I didn't actually get a chance to read that yet, but that's my cue of stories I got to pick up. But, yeah, I mean it's it's – the eye is one thing, but it's just the combination of what he's able to produce with that eye that is probably the most exceptional part. Like, you could have a really good eye. Like, a guy like Williams Estadio in the minor leagues probably had a comparable eye to Franca at a much older age, sure. But, like, the eye was the same. It's just that when Estadio was barreling balls and putting balls in play, it wasn't exceptionally hard or far or anything. And he didn't have the hands that Franco has. So, when you combine that all and you give a guy like Estadio, like, a future 70 hit tool, and like above average game power, it's like I don't even know what the limit is there, you know. 
and projection systems are going to love them too. We always talk about how projection systems view guys, but like, I think Steamer right now says that if he's the major league level, it's, he's like a 13% carry to a 5% walk rate at the age of 18. Like it's just, it's just absolutely insane. I mean, we'll see what the Rays do in terms of service time and how, how long they keep him down there. I can't imagine they're going to rush him, especially with how well they're winning right now. Um, because Adamas is a pretty good shortstop as well. So I guess we'll see what they do eventually with that second base hole. But I think Franco's the top prospect on all boards. I don't really see too much of an argument for other guys, actually, especially with all the other. If you got Eli graduated, Vlad graduated, and Tati's graduated, which I maybe they all have, or maybe they're all close. Then it's Franco for me, and I think there's a there's a nice gap between him and some of the other guys, honestly, that are like two, three, four. So uh, he's fun. He's really fun. I'm excited to see him at higher levels. Is there anybody that you know at the beginning of the season wasn't really on your radar and has absolutely just jumped the gun and you know just kind of turned your head a little bit? Uh, I mean, I'll say Casey Mize. Like, I I like Casey Mize coming out of college. He was a one overall pick, so like he was on my radar. But like, I just didn't think that I'd so comfortably say that he's like a top fifteen guy out of the gate. You know, like I I don't know. I mean, I he's just flown through and he's had fantastic results and he's almost of the similar ilk that. Sork is where it's not really overpowering stuff. It's just a lot of pitches. Um, he's going to be like one of those guys that I'm very interested to see how like Statcast tracks when he gets to higher levels because like he's, he has like five or six pitches and he manipulates the ball so well that I'm just interested to see how they classify everything and just see that spread of pitches and percentile usage because he's going to be like 15% on five different pitches or something, which is going to be so much fun. So, uh, so I'd say Mize. I don't really know if anyone else is kind of like hopped into the fold I, I you might have just caught me off guard here with the question i'm not i just mize was the My first fault. one that came to mind <laughs> no no that's good because it's making me think now but uh i don't what about you i don't i don't think any I, i'll i'll give you a sec here to to talk well, but maybe i could try to think of one <laughs> well like even even guys in the system that i watch every single day like i wasn't expecting i was expecting owen miller to be an average you know an average hitter you know pretty good bat in college everything like that owen miller has absolutely just floored me this year with what the, his ability to spread the ball around I mean, if you look at his numbers, you know, it's, you know, going the opposite way. He told me, he's like, yeah, no, I haven't really done anything different this year when it comes to going the opposite way. I'm like, then what are you doing? Like, how is this thing? How do you just effortlessly go the other opposite way? He goes, yeah, it's just a lot of practice. Yeah, that is funny. I, I, he might be one I'm actually wrong on because I, I didn't think there was much there when I saw him at Fort Wayne. Like, I get that he was an advanced hitter at a level. Like, I just thought he was a little too advanced for the level, but I, I didn't see too much projection there. And I feel like he's a guy where the stats are almost playing that out for the, for the most part. I'm still not sure what his ultimate outcome is. He's not a shortstop to That's me. what I he's was not, thinking, I too. He plays up the middle, either. Like, I just don't think his actions are good enough in the field. But, like, he seems to be one of those guys who's just going to, like, the scouting grades are always going to under, you know, they're going to they're gonna fall under what the actual production is. So, We'll see what the ultimate package is with him. I, I might still stay on the side that I'm going to fade him, but I mean, there's a point at which like the walk rate's up this year too, which is really good to see. Actually, he, he mean he made the the A ball two double A jump too, which is kind of crazy. It's so nobody does really on levels. Yeah, it's weird, man. I, he's he's one that I'm I'm going to have to just eat my hat on, I guess. If he if he ends up being a, a decent player at the major league level, but I guess we'll see. I'm not I'm not 100 sure on him. I'm still kind of torn. I really wish I could see him a little bit this year. See if anything changed or if my opinion changes of him. Because it's tough when you get like whatever. He played like 26 games with Fort Wayne. I think he played some of the, the playoffs there before he got bumped up and played the playoffs at a higher level. But it's tough when you get like a small sample. And this kid was just making contact with everything and he wasn't walking like at all. And I was just like, well, he's hitting the ball, but like they're going to shift him a lot when they figure out his tendencies, which maybe is a little bit underdone by the opposite field hitting. But uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's one that confuses me, man. And I still got, I'm trying to think, I still got no guy that's jumped onto my radar. He's a, kind of, he's a tough nut to crack, too, because he won't give you anything. 
Like I, yeah. I talked to him like five or six times this year. And I'm like, what are you, uh, what are you doing different? He's just, he, he's <laughs> like, nothing, man, N- nothing really. He goes, I'm just trying not to strike out this year. I was like, that is pretty funny. I was like, oh, and I'm going to get you eventually. He goes, I'm, yeah. oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, one more Padre question. Yeah. I think that I would be in trouble if I didn't ask. Because, I mean, in reality, Miller could wind up at second base. I mean, if all goes wrong, yeah. truly. What are your sure. thoughts on Urias and, you know, what what is going on with him? Is it just the jump from, you know, AAA to, to the majors? Is it something else? What do we think here? Yeah, Urias is is interesting because for the most part, I've had a lot of trouble trying to figure out whose power bumps and whose production at the AAA level is because of the ball right. and what is actually skill-based. So, like, I don't want to say I want to throw out all AAA numbers, but, like, we've seen a pretty good amount of guys hop up from AAA this year and not necessarily pop right away. Guys like – I'm thinking of guys like Nate, Nate Lowe from the Tampa. Rays – um, probably a variety of other guys that are slipping. Ty, Ty France, who was killing it in AAA for for you guys in the Padres system, came up didn't really look that good. There's a lot of guys who produce in AAA in a variety of parks, and I just trying to figure out what the reasoning is for that. If it's all ball based, if it's park based, and it just seems like so many of these guys have year over year improvements that just seem like they became completely new hitters, and I just really don't understand it. And that is tough for me to just rationalize that he's almost doubled his home run total in half the amount of games year over year in AAA. So I just want a bigger major league sample. Like I still think he's going to be a good prospect. Like he's he's not going to be like a crazy like I don't think he's like a seventy hits old guy. Like I think a lot of people had him near. I think he's a little bit more blend of like tapping into a little bit of power, which is what for the most part it seems like the Padres want him to do. And I'm fine with him doing that because I think there is some pop in that bat. So. I still like him long term. Like he's still, what is he, like 22 years old? Yeah, that's insane. So I don't know, man. I, I just, I, this year with AAA stats, I've been just so wary of any anyone that is just destroying it. And for the most part, like like Jordan Alvarez has hopped up and he's hit really well. But outside of that, like Riley's K rate is really high. High Rose Kissinger's is really high. But he, he started heating up before they sent him back down. Kevin Biggio hasn't been too great, but his approach looks pretty good. He was killing it in AAA, I think, too. So I, I don't know if it's an acclimation thing. I don't know if like the gap between like AAA and the majors is bigger or something. It just it seems like we haven't got a big enough sample to make any definitive conclusions about AAA. And I feel like for the most part, that's caused me to kind of just take a step back and be a little more conservative with a lot of guys, which I feel like for the most part is going to make me win. But I might miss on guys like Alvarez and others just because I'm a little bit low on them. But I'm still in on your Urias. I, I'm I'm fine with him. I think I had him above Mejia in my top 30. I want to say I had him like five. That was my next and, question. Uh, is he like Mejia yeah. to where, you know, he's just, it's the sample size isn't big enough for the two of them. Yeah, that could very well be the case. I think it was always a little bit lower on Mejia just because of the ultimate position. I was never sure about it, even with the arm. I feel like for the most part, like his arm is an 80, of course, but I mean, like Gary Sanchez is calling card. He came up with his arm and that hasn't really fared well with him. You know, I just like an arm for me is just not something that I'm, I'm blown away by like an 80 arms good and it's, it's a tool and it's useful. But at the same time, like there's a lot of other tools that I think are a little bit more valuable. And I, I take an overall fielding tool better than a throwing tool. Like most of the time, especially for outfielders and stuff. And just don't know where my hands up. Like, I don't think he's a catcher long term. Like hedges is a very good defensive catcher. I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm really torn on me. I always thought that he'd probably be more of like an average major, major, major leaguer than uh, a stellar major leaguer. Um, but I guess we'll see. Like the, the major league samples have been good. Minor league samples have been great. So, 
I don't know. He's another one of these guys that I'm, again, a little bit confused with these minor league stats because he had a pretty good jump in a variety of peripherals with his walk rate and stuff. So we'll see. We'll see. Before we talk about the best player in probably our lifetime and probably could wind up being the best player ever, who has the second? I know you're a prospects, you know, a prospects guy. So who has the second best baseball reference page other than Mike Trout? Oh, man. That's, I mean, I, I thought of that when, I was, <laughs> when we were doing it. I was like, whew. I got no idea. That's a really good question. Uh, so, I mean, it depends on what you define as, like, best. Like, I know baseball reference is a thing where they bold stats when you yeah. leave the league. So I always feel like that is something that is very, like, aesthetically appealing. Right. And just anything like the right column, that's, like, an all-star gold glove. Um, that is a really good question. I, I honestly don't know. Um, you got to go, I mean, some of the greats, I'm sure, like, guys like Bonds and stuff had some stupid stats in there. So, I mean, I'll defer to Bonds on it, but... Uh, I feel like that's a question that you could literally spend, like, an hour on. Yeah. Because you can, you can look yeah, at Mike yeah. Trout's baseball reference page for an hour. It's just you could absolutely. <laughs> it's just an incredible question. All right, let's talk about him. Uh, Man, yeah. <laughs> try to quantify how good Mike Trout is to people. Yeah, I I want to. I just want to. I want to say one story. So I had a conversation with Mike Trout, which is I'd say the peak of my journalism career. Um, this spring in Mesa, I pulled him aside for a second. I wanted to do a story on him not swinging at three up pitches. So the last time he swung at a three up pitch was. I think September 26, 2016. So this is like three years ago. And he it's not like he doesn't see a lot of 3-0 pitches. Like he sees an above average rate of 3 pitches because people are pitching around. Mike Trout. <laughs> exactly. And he he just does not swing at 3 pitches. So I went up to him and I asked him and I was like, broke out the stats. I was like, hey man, like you swung at like five of them in 2016. And then after 2017, you completely shut off and you haven't swung at one since. And he basically looked at me and was just like, yeah, it really depends on how I'm feeling. If I'm feeling good, then I'm going to be swinging at him. If not, then I'm probably going to stay away from him. And his response just like my brain just like almost exploded because Mike Trout is like the greatest player of you our generation. You haven't felt good in two years? <laughs> That's exactly it. That's what I'm saying. Like he's the greatest player of our generation. I almost would argue he's probably the greatest player of all time. Um, and it just like it i think my response i have it on tape somewhere i think my response was literally just like i don't even think i told him that he's like the greatest player ever or whatever i was just like i was just like yeah like that seems really weird because you know like in the last couple years of the year like important performance has improved for the most part and he just kind of gave me like a non-answer and i think that that just epitomizes mike trout for the most part is the fact that he just like he doesn't even like i don't think he fully understands how good he is he has like this insane swagger to him that is like evident when you're around the clubhouse. I know this is another thing that Ian Saris has pointed out when he's been in Angels clubhouses and stuff. I've only been in there once and you could tell that he, he's just got like an aura about him, you know? Right. But it's like, it's an inviting aura. Like he was willing to take the time to talk to me and stuff. Like he's not uh, like a, a, he doesn't have the superstar mentality. It's just, I was like blown away by that. I was just like so confused. And that is like my Mike Trout story. And I don't know if that really captures how good he is. But me. just the fact that he didn't think that he was hitting well over the last three years, and that's the reason why he wasn't swinging at 3-0 pitches, you know? Yeah. Like, I just, I was just blown away. I was just like, man, I don't know if that's just, that's just a deferred answer, but to, like, defer to that answer is almost like an admission that you don't think you're hitting well, and he's, like, the greatest hitter that we've seen in the last 10 years, probably, and I just think that's so funny. I mean, that's, that's just, that's just, you're, you're Mike Trout. Like, you, how do you exactly. not feel good? <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, my God. I just, it's unbelievable. And that's, <laughs> oh, that floors me. My goodness. Well, he's, he's, you know, he's, what, 28 now, passing guys, you know, on the war stat, which, I mean, everybody has a different opinion on, it seems like, but, I mean, he's passing guys like Biggio, and it's it's just incredible to watch. I mean, I don't think people realize what we're seeing. It's 
it's like almost it's to an extent kind of the LeBron James factor, but with less hate. And I think people realize how good LeBron is. I don't think people realize how great Mike Trout is just because of the time zone. Yeah, I mean, that's a factor of the market, too. I mean, the funniest thing is that the Angels pull, like, top 10 attendance every year. I think I was looking at this the other day. And they're, like, perennially in there. They're, like, like if you name, like, the top 10 attendance, home attendance teams in baseball, I think, like, anyone is probably able to pull, like, eight of those teams, maybe nine of yeah, those teams. Yeah, it's the contenders Other team, the bigger names. It's the contenders or big markets, exactly. And then it's the Angels. And it's, like, that almost is so funny to me because it's, like, you almost would think if he was in like a bigger market that of course he would be a bigger name, but at the same time, like Anaheim's a decently sized market for the amount they pull. Like that fan base is really dedicated and stuff. It's just, it's kind of funny to me. I, I don't think people really realize how good he is either. It's just, it's quiet dominance. And I almost think that that makes it that much better. more intriguing. It makes it like this, like inside thing to me. It's like, if you understand how good Mike Trout is, then you're in like this small little niche of baseball that just like understands. Right? You're like in the a lot club. Of yeah, exactly. And it's like, I think that's cool to some extent. It like, it makes it more amazing for people like you and me, but at the same time for the casual fan, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to conceptualize. I, like, it is, I told my amazing. mom like, this. I was like, unless you speak nerd, I don't think you can understand how great Mike Trout is. No, you can't. Cause it's like the, the analysts we have now have, have shown us have been a pretty good, decently objective measure to standardize his performance relative to other players of, of generations. And it's like, like, Bonds has some one-line stats that I think are honestly better than than Trout's, just because Bonds had some like insane walk numbers, and yeah, he's just he's got some one-liners that make you really just cock your head and, and get confused. Like, is that right? <laughs> but, exactly, and I don't know if Trout has that per se. It's just that Trout has like comparable numbers at such a young age. I think is the big thing, and it's like that has always left people wondering, like, well, what is the ultimate product of this player? You know, it's like if he's doing this at this age, it's like. You get the Mickey Mantle comps to yeah. similar age. Like you look forward and you're like, so what happens in two years? You know, like his profile is going to age probably pretty well if he's walking and striking out as he is right now. So I just want to know the ultimate total war of a guy like Mike Trout. It's just going to be so he much fun. He just keeps getting better. He does, which is insane. I don't, I don't it's, know, just like, it's, it's just ridiculous how, how many just tools he has. I mean, because he breaks, he's broke the mold basically. There's, I don't think we're going to see a guy like him for a very long time, if ever. I don't think we've got seen a guy in a past like him. Obviously, we talked about Bonds, but Bonds wasn't nearly the fielder that Trout is. I mean, Trout's you know made this robbing a home run a signature play. You know, it's it's like yeah. you smashed Bonds and Torrey Hunter's defense together. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> he's he's fun, man. He's a lot of fun. Uh, I have Adley Rutschman's baseball card sitting right next to me, so I think I would be you know kind of kicking myself if I didn't ask about Adley. I mean, the kid goes one one. What's kind of the What's kind of your thoughts on him? I know you probably haven't seen him a ton, considering. No, I haven't at all. Yeah, JP J- Jason Panini is a great follow on Twitter from Prospects Live. I've seen him a bit and raves about him. I mean, I I like it. I think it's a great pick. Like there was some it was like almost can't miss free. Yeah, I mean, it's like I, the thing that I don't like is the comps to Matt Weeders, just because like it's just Matt Weeders wasn't head and shoulders above the rest of the right. prospects in this draft from a total value standpoint. Like, Andrew Vaughn is, is the best hitter in the draft for the most part, from what I understand, and what a lot of people have told me. And I would agree with that, but at the same time, like, the total value of Andrew Vaughn is going to be stuck at DH or first base, unless the White Sox really think they can try to move him to, like, third or something, which could be reasonable. You know, if a guy like Vlad is playing third, like, I, I can't really imagine why a guy like Andrew Vaughn can't play third, especially with some development in the minors. So, but at the end of the day, like, he ends up as a first baseman, and then you limit the defensive value. We get back to the thing we were talking about earlier, where you need to be, like, J.D. Martinez, to win like an MVP if you're talking about that in terms of like the, the ultimate achievement of excellence. And 
a guy like Rushman is going to be able to produce value on a variety of facets of the game, and he's a switch hitter. And he continually gets comped to Matt Weiders, but the separation between Rushman and a variety of people is bigger. It's bigger than Weiders and anyone else in that class. And I get that it's like a switching catcher, so everyone's just going to tag him as that. But I just think he's a different player. Like I, I just I don't like the the comps that are that easy. You know what I mean? Like it's an easy one to draw, especially because of the team and stuff. But I just think it's a little bit different. Like Rushman is a really developed polished hitter who could probably be up in the major leagues right now, producing positive four seasons. And I just, I'm excited to see him. I'm really excited to see him, and I'm excited to see how the new uh, Orioles brass with with Elias in there and Sigmaidal and stuff, and a lot of these other people from the Astros organization that he brought over, pitching coordinators in the minor leagues that were really publicized, and a variety of other people. Just, I want to see how they develop him, and I think that he could be the cornerstone for this team. If you have a game caller that's this good that can hit and bat three in the lineup, it's it's huge, and I think that he could be. And he's already like a top twenty prospect, which is something that Fangraphs has convinced me of. Um, Kyle McDaniel and uh, Longhagen have him there, so he's already top twenty, and then he's clearly the best player in the draft. And it's one one. There's only been like three other guys, four other guys maybe who've who've been preseason one one and gone one one. I think they've been like Strasburg and Price maybe and Harper, and the the, the conversion rate on those guys is pretty good. Yeah, so uh, pretty good. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, all different players, of course. Again, but. I'm I'm in on Rushman for sure. I, I, there's very few guys I would take over him right now, evidenced by him being a top twenty prospect. So tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, I'm at Lance Braz, Broz B R O Z. I tweet a lot. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've actually kind of limited. I've tried to go towards more uh, more like reporting and stuff. I'm, I'm in major league clubhouses a bit, so I try to tweet. You know, just changes. I love talking to pitchers about what they changed and how they changed it's and why they amazing, changed. Amazing, right? And uh, I really enjoy that. So, I mean, that's like what my Twitter is going to be full of. I do a lot of GIFs and stuff, too. I watch a lot of games. So, it's a constant feed of that. I'm going to have some pretty cool stories coming out in the next week or two. Conversation with Trevor Bauer. I just had one with Nolan Arenado. That's going to pop. That's I'm excited for. I think that's going to baseball prospectus. But some of the other ones will probably be free. So, uh, so definitely check out my Twitter. And uh, thanks for you know following me, if you do.